there's a lot of people I think might be slightly panicking about it where they think okay so th these machines can write stuff en masse they can do it a lot quicker than a human so those teams of writers that you mentioned um, are kind of all maybe suddenly panicking that they're then being made obsolete but actually I think it's kind of a shift so rather than taking out those individuals that have those specialist skill sets I mean at the end of the day the the actual task of writing is very subjective so I think it's kind of a shift to the idea that well rather than writing it from scratch this tool can kind of save me time and so what I can then do is I can enhance it and actually rewriting and modifying and making those changes I think at the end of the day is a much harder task and that is something that we can't put through an AI machine no matter how much we train it. The Strategic Marketing Show is brought to you by Insights for Professionals, providing access to the latest industry insights from trusted brands, all in a customized, tailored experience. Find out more over at insightsforprofessionals.com. Hey, it's David. Content is an essential part of building engagement into your marketing activities. But it's getting harder to get your content seen by the right audience, and AI might be making this even tougher. So what does highly engaging content look like, and how is this going to evolve in the future? That's what we're discussing today with a lady who works with brands including Indeed, Sitecore and AWS, helping shape their content strategies around online experiences that engage the right audiences. She's a content manager who heads up all the strategic content production at Inbox Insight. A warm welcome to the strategic marketing show, Natasha Vickery-Arm. Hi, it's good to be here. Good to have you here. Thank you for coming on, Natasha. We can find Natasha over at inboxinsight.com. So, Natasha, how would you describe the purpose of content within a marketing strategy? So content kind of has a bunch of different functions. I think that's what makes it so difficult, I think, to get right. You know, we, we have one side of it where we're kind of boosting the brand awareness. We're trying to um, engage audiences, find those prospective customers. But also um, what I think many people kind of forget as well is that the essential point of content is that we want to establish authority we want to demonstrate what we know and we want to build that trust with uh prospect prospects or even people who aren't necessarily going to be coming into that funnel being being able to kind of share that knowledge and establish ourselves in the industry can go a long way to building that further down the line so it's such a multi-purpose format that is can be really difficult to get right and for that reason you know that's why we look at different content formats platforms channels and kind of how it all comes together and that in itself is the biggest challenge, I think, of content. So you talked about having different purposes behind content there, such as awareness, trust, authenticity, um, simply being useful as well. Can one piece of content actually provide all of those things? Or do you have to have different pieces of content honing in on those different areas? You can kind of do both. So in theory, I would say you want one piece of content to achieve all of those things. But because of how difficult that is, you do we do often think about different pieces achieving different milestones. So whilst you have pieces that are focusing around the authenticity and kind of driving your brand values, um, you can have others that are more focused around your product sales, but also 
essentially what we're, what we're wanting to do is create an ecosystem where all of the content works harmoniously together in the same place so that you can create that environment for individuals to deep dive into and so by going from one piece to the next they're actually able to get a sense of that from all of the content so it's like creating a really big checklist of all of the things that you kind of want to achieve but also dividing that out so you can kind of go both ways with it essentially the really really good pieces will achieve all of it in one but to that, you know, you have to have so much behind you already. So that might be the ranking really high in the in SEO, you know, the people that you see at the top that are already doing all of this, essentially their single pieces can kind of convey all that. But at the end of the day, they've already established their brand. They've already built that trust and that awareness. So trying to catch up to that, sometimes it is simpler to just focus on one piece at a time. But having said that, you do have to be careful not to neglect a single area. And that is where it becomes really, really hard to try and see if you can get that balance. I love your mention of um, content working together, creating an ecosystem um, was the, the word you use. And that reminded me of Joseph Kahn, actually, um, previous episode of the Strategic Marketing Show. And he talked about how content should almost form a melody together. It, it should be uh, a musical and, and be harmonious, as you, as you say. What sequence then do you actually tend to suggest content is created and published in? Because obviously one piece of content can be published in many different areas nowadays. Yeah, so we kind of, um, when, we're, when we're crafting our content, we kind of take a step back and think about the awareness, desire, interest funnel. So we are thinking about how we can appeal to the different individuals depending on where they are at different stages. Now, whether that's introducing a topic to them, whether that is kind of going slightly deeper into that topic and providing more depth to it, or kind of going even further and providing the solutions. So kind of thinking about the content in this in this way allows us to map out a journey where we can kind of go from, okay, so this is where we start with the topic, this is how we go into more detail about it, and then this is actually how we solve that problem. And by doing it in that sort of an order means that we can create a quite a linear uh, channel, a linear journey for that individual. It doesn't always work like that, obviously, because, you know, we can't predict exactly what it is that uh, people are going to interact with. But it means that we have spaces where that is possible. So should somebody want to go further into a specific topic, we have those avenues available. If they decide to switch topics, we have that as well. Um, and then we can kind of branch out. So then that's where we kind of include our cluster areas. And, you know, you can jump around at different topics um, or should I say different subject areas within one topic. And each of those kind of link into each other. So that again, so it comes back to the ecosystem idea. So because we're not all linear, because that linear idea is a little bit outdated, it's not necessarily achievable these days. So uh, creating that environment where, yes, okay, we still have the awareness, interest, desire kind of um, structure, but we can still kind of be quite flexible with that and provide that in a, in a variety of different ways. I love the fact that um, you do put the customer journey at the heart of it, but you also mentioned that it's not linear because not every customer journey is the same, but you need some kind of initial point to start from, certainly as well. Did you have a favoured marketing channel traffic driver for different stages of the journey? Yes, in a way. I mean, for us, we focus entirely on the content production side of things. So the channel distribution side of it is not necessarily what sits within my team. So when we're producing our content, we're 
trying to think about how we serve that individual on the page in in the IFP environment and how exactly that looks from the user perspective. Um, but when it does come to the different channels, we are always trying to think about how we can serve them in, in the sense of, so we have our email channels, how does this title differ from uh, on page, how could it work in email, how does that then translate into a subject line, or if we go down the route of SEO, how do we, you know, compete with uh, those already ranking in that space. When it comes to kind of matching up the different kind of stages against the channels, um, it kind of depends on the campaign that we're shaping and how the different teams are coordinating that between us. So one massive chain, change that's happening at the moment in terms of creation of content is the involvement of AI. So what is a good use of AI in creating content at the moment and how is it impacting content creation? Yeah, it's such a good topic at the moment. So um, you are seeing a lot of things pop up on places like LinkedIn where individuals are showcasing how they're using AI to create social content, how they're using it to help them create like ebooks. And, you know, there's, there's a plethora of examples now out there of how individuals are using them to um, fuel their content creation. So we've kind of been dabbling in this and kind of understanding how we could use AI, how we can leverage it in our production pipeline and what that kind of looks, what it's capable of, what it can't do and how we can shape that to kind of help to supercharge what it is that we're kind of offering. And it, it's been really interesting that the tools are amazing. You know, we're, we've come so far compared to like a couple of years ago. And what we're actually able to do now is kind of, you know, create entire articles from scratch really effectively, really efficiently. So yesterday, for example, I was working on a piece where I wanted to kind of talk about a general management topic. So nothing too kind of specific. It was more of a a general area and I could put into this AI tool a few a few headings a few kind of bits of notes about each piece about each um, section I wanted to talk about and then just hit generate and then within like 30 seconds this whole article has appeared and then reading through it it's actually not that bad so in you know in the space of 20 minutes so we've done our research we've come up with our title we've been able to kind of construct an outline uh, we have a fully fledged article that is workable so it kind of has managed to cut down that pipeline massively where we would kind of work with our writers, we would, you know, brief them, brief it out to them, they would then produce it and bring it back to us, which could take weeks. We've been able to cut it down to like half an hour, which is amazing. That being said, it's definitely not finished. So, you know, we have snags in the system where they can't produce statistics. So the AI tools aren't able to generate relevant statistics and URLs that we can access that are live links. We can't kind of access things like just uh, general uh, resources that can kind of just enhance the article. We try and always include sources that where people can go and learn more and can kind of see where we, we get it. You know, if we're talking about a current topic, this is kind of who else is talking about it. And the tone of voice isn't quite right. It doesn't match us, but that's to be expected. Nothing's ever going to match our exact tone of voice without a human kind of going in and fixing it. But it is kind of mind-blowing exactly what it can achieve in that such a short space of time which I think is amazing. You mentioned tone of voice there as well and obviously tone of voice is is key for most big brands out there they have a very defined way of talking they have a particular persona that they use is that something that you've tried to work on have you tried to key in um, specific examples for AI or specific uh, things for them to think about prior to actually producing the text or have you just thought well it's it's not going to be possible for them to to come up with the tone that we're looking for so it's only something that post-production we're going to have to focus on. <laughs> 
It's, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. So we do have the capability to kind of fine-tune exactly what, what kind of tone of voice we get back from it. You know, we have a, a, an array of different things that we can choose from. And we can teach the AI model that these are these are the, the things that we like to see. This is kind of the tone that we're going for. But realistically, I think without kind of like custom building an entire tool from scratch and then training over thousands and thousands of articles, I'm not entirely sure if we're going to get there with it. We know we're not going to, I don't think we're going to get to a point, at least not anytime soon, where we have a tool that can just auto-create all this content without the need of us going in and fixing it afterwards. I mean, the what it does produce is something we can work with. So we can kind of specify, okay, we're not wanting like a playful tone of voice. You want something that's a little bit more like professional, but is, is more engaging. So we can kind of get quite away there and then it's just a case that we only need to go in and fine tune and a lot of it as well comes down to kind of like um nuances that we prefer so when you kind of look at our style sheet it's like ways that we prefer to speak and how we prefer to kind of um shape that tone that probably could be fed into the ai machine but then there's also that sense of a lot of the time it doesn't necessarily under the co- understand the context. So you can it can get confused when you put a topic in and what it spits back out again is maybe not B2B focused because it doesn't know that you're talking in the B2B context. So there's a lot of that kind of like fine tuning that is kind of involved in both the prep work and also the aftermath. So I think we could get there eventually, but at the moment, the kind of the tools don't really have that capability. And I think it all comes down to data. There's, you know, there's not enough data being fed through it yet. So I don't know, maybe ask me that question in six months and it might be a completely different answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you say six months. AI certainly come through a massive step change in the last six months. I would imagine that over the next six months, it's possibly going to be even bigger. So what does that mean practically for marketing teams? I'm thinking specifically of teams of writers, of content producers, perhaps big marketing departments that have teams internally as well. What should they be doing at the moment to take advantage of AI and to be able to plan what they're doing with their teams to be able to take full advantage of it in the future? Yeah, so I think there's there's a lot of people I think might be slightly panicking about it where they think, okay, so th- these machines can write stuff en masse, they can do it a lot quicker than a human. So those teams of writers that you mentioned um, are kind of all maybe suddenly panicking that they're then being made obsolete. But actually, I think it's kind of a shift. So rather than taking out those individuals that have those specialist skill sets, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the actual task of writing is very subjective. So I think it's kind of a shift to the idea that, well, rather than writing it from scratch, this tool can kind of save me time. And so what I can then do is I can enhance it. And actually rewriting and modifying and making those changes, I think at the end of the day is a much harder task. And that is something that we can't put through an AI machine, no matter how much we train it. So for marketing teams that are looking to kind of like leverage it now, you know, we can start simple with things like social posts, you know, creating um, social posts for LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook or whatever platform people are using. That is the simplest way to kind of start. You know, we can get the AI machine to generate, say, five different um, posts based on a subject or URL link and then kind of fine tune it. And then as we get more confident with how it works, so in a case of, okay, how can we roll it out? Can we can we use it to create email subject copy? Can we use it to create introductions to articles? You know, we started with actually using it as a, as a paragraph generator. So we were looking to enhance content we already had live on the site that we knew was performing well. We wanted to improve it and update it. So we were kind of reviewing it and seeing, okay, 
where are there gaps in this piece? What could we add into it? And then using the AI tool to help us create that so that it was a quicker way for us to improve that content. I mean, if you look at the site, we have like 4,000 articles currently live. It's a lot of content for us to manage. So finding ways that we can kind of fast track that production is always beneficial. And so like it's a case of starting small and not feeling overwhelmed because it can sometimes feel like it's a bit much to take on this tool that can suddenly do all these things that we've relied on people. But then at the same time, I think marketing teams aren't shy of using MarTech. You know, we've been using things like CMSs and automating our customer relationship tools for quite a long time now. So uh, introducing new technology into that mix. If anything, I think the marketing departments are probably going to be the first people to jump on this, really, because we're so used to including that new technology to find shortcuts, to find ways that we can do stuff quicker and faster and more efficiently while still having the same output. Um, you know, if we think back 10 years ago when like there was no technology available for this sort of thing and all our emails were blanket newsletters and there was no personalization, there was no segmentation and stuff like that, we've come a really, really long way. So it'll be really interesting to kind of see how that continues in the next few months and what, I mean, it's it's mad to think what the end of the year might look like compared to how we've kind of started the year. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's got really good, exciting things on the horizon. Absolutely. Mad and perhaps scary to a certain degree as well. But um, you have to jump on the bandwagon. You at least have to be aware of what's going on and how it may impact the way that uh, content is created. And one other form of content that appears to being uh, being impact mass- impacted massively is images. And something that I'm hearing quite a bit about is something called Midjourney, and it's a, a, an artificial intelligent way to generate images. Are you having conversations with many brands about using AI to generate images within their content as well? It's not something we've explored just yet. From what I've kind of like, I've been observing a few conversations in different places, and I've kind of been witnessing certain issues around like um, copyright infringement laws and things like that, that are kind of like, being flagged so it's not something we've kind of ever or it's not not ever it's not something we've looked into at the moment having said that we are very particular about the type of images that we use in the sense of we try and avoid very stereotypical images and try and go down a more emotive surprising route so when you look at the IFP website for example we are kind of focusing on images that you wouldn't necessarily immediately associate with that content that kind of make you go oh I, I get it that that's quite fun it's caught my eye it's different so for that reason I don't think quite yet that we're going to be in a position to use AI to, to achieve that because we're kind of using that human element to think outside the box and think okay this article is about AI but actually we're going to add an image in that is not robots, it's not a factory, it's not, you know, the stereotypical things that you would expect to associate with that title. So, but yeah, the the copyright infringement stuff's been really interesting to kind of observe, and um, I'm not entirely convinced that they've managed to sort themselves out with this side of things yet, so I'll be interested to see how that progresses. Yes, you have to certainly be aware of where AI is likely to be taking the content from and whether or not you actually really have permission to date that content. It's a story yet to continue. Uh, Many parts to this, I'm sure, in future episodes. But um, let's move on and ask you, not necessarily thinking about what we've been talking about so far, but what is the number one thing that marketers need to incorporate into their strategy? 
Okay, so if we're if we're not gonna not gonna use the obvious AI, I think we need to be thinking about new approaches. So one thing that we've kind of done this year with our strategy particularly is we have changed how we've thought about it. So we've taken last year's strategy and actually we've kind of flipped it on its head so that this year we can kind of think, okay, so that worked that last year. What are we going to achieve this year? How do we want to achieve it? And how can we do that differently? So it's kind of taking what we know, but actually then deconstructing it and building it back up into something different. And I think it's really important for marketers to not be afraid to try something new and to and to tackle that new approach. Yes, it's worked in the past and we can take elements of that, but actually, you know, the AI is a great example of how we can leverage new tools and new ways of working to kind of really broaden our horizons. And it, at the end of the day, it kind of takes a tiny little bit of a leap of faith to kind of get there. So I think this year it is all going to be about those new approaches and kind of finding new ways to achieve what we're trying to do. So include experimentation in your strategy. Yeah, 100%. We, we do an awful lot of it uh, within our team. It's kind of a core element of um, we, we have designated space within our strategy to experiment with different styles, topics, formats, different ways of doing things, uh, and all the time. And every year it allows us to kind of grow at quite a rapid rate. And um, without it, we wouldn't be where we are, basically. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Natasha Vickeriom over at inboxinsight.com. Natasha, thanks so much for being on the Strategic Marketing Show. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening. Here at IFP, our goal is simple. To connect you with the most relevant information to help solve your business problems all in one place. InsightsforProfessionals.com